0: Welcome to Hot Breath Comedy Fam. On Monday, May 13th, I am teaching a clean comedy workshop. The last four I have taught sold out very quickly. So if you wanna learn about clean comedy, the business side, where the line is, how to write clean comedy, go to the link in the description of this episode and we'll see you there. With all of your online content and classes, what is the number one rule that every young comic must know?
1: that it's an art. I think the number one rule is, you gotta remember it's supposed to be fun, it's comedy. Mm. So if you start beating yourself over the head, step back from it and refocus on the, you're supposed to have fun with this. Take it seriously, but have fun with it. And I think, the, I, I think probably the number one rule to remember is Picasso's rule in art. It's like, um, you gotta know the rules before you can break the rules. Hot breath. All right.
0: What is up? Hot breath of verse We are about to launch our live Q&A with Jerry Corley here, ladies and gentlemen. So, without further ado, welcome to Hot Breath. This is the show where you learn comedy from the pros. I am your host, comedian Joel Byers, and we have done almost 300 interviews with comedians on this show, and our guest today, our returning guest, is one of our most requested sequels, People loved his first interview with us so much. It went from an hour of us talking about his backstory into like a two-hour comedy writing masterclass, and this is going to be no different. We're actually going to be answering your questions, so if you're listening to this on the podcast or watching on YouTube later, all of this Q&A action happens only in our Facebook group, so go into the show description and join this Facebook group. If you're already a member of the Facebook group, share it with a friend. And without further ado, it is time to welcome to the Hot Breath of verse. Welcome back, the one and only Jerry the Joke Doctor Corley, everyone. Give him some love.
1: Yeah, thanks. Woo! Thanks, man. Don't you love this? Yeah, you hear it and
0: <sighs> Yeah, there's there's a sound effect going on right now for you. <laughs> Applause sound effect. Ooh. All right, all right so uh first off um just welcome back you're like our most requested guest back so um you really help a lot of comics what
1: what? steve hofstetter was there right
0: (laughs) yeah yeah oh yeah we've We've had all the the hitters on here
1: like the million view views on his the heckle thing he's come up with a really cool concept
0: but you are like helping like hands-on helping so many comics and i can't tell you how many people here in hot breath have just spoken praise about you and your classes and just you're providing a service for comedians out there that, I mean, we're, we're trying to do as well with our daily writing club and things like that. But like you've, you've really been able to, I I just, in knowing you the little bit we have and then the ripple effect you have that reverberates throughout comedy is just, it's, it's a very positive thing you're doing. So I really appreciate you coming on here to share
1: it. Well, thanks. Uh, you know, it's, uh, I love comics. Comics, we're like the last, uh, we're the rogues, man. We're the cowboys and the cowgirls out there. And mm-hmm. like, we take uh, that system and we'll, we want to turn it on its head. We don't want to be in the system. That's, I think, what inspires everybody to be a comic, but it's like, can be so vulnerable out there. Right. And it's like, and there was what I realized, there was like no advice, mm-hmm.
2: you know? like, no
1: really good advice coming from like the mechanics of, of this comedy is the most unexplored art form you know and so you have people that just basically state what some other guys said and what some other guy said before that and everybody's like you can't teach it you know you either got it or you don't i was like you know that's <laughs> that's not true yeah
0: yeah there's form to everything just like i mean painting i mean there's there's a blueprint that you can follow to then make your own but there's structure within the art form for sure
1: with that, with for sure, so how do you want to do this? Should, should we just go into the questions or do you want to
0: yeah, I first had a, a selfish question, uh, and then we're going to jump into all the questions here, which we, we're we're at um think like we're about we're at fifty people right now, Jerry, so this is great well, that's good man. yeah, fifty people live streaming so um, what I wanted to selfishly ask you um, is What we do here in this Facebook group is a a daily writing club where we get a random word and then we take 10 minutes to write the best joke possible. And I've been doing comedy 10 years and there's people in here who've been doing comedy 10 months or two months and they're just killing me on these jokes. And and sometimes I strike gold and other times I'm like, I get after 10 minutes, I'm like, I'm embarrassed to post this. People are going to call me a fraud that's all the process as well (laughs) of joke writing but it's a specific skill set to be able to turn a random word into a joke in 10 minutes so if you could for me and other people that may be struggling in the right 10 club could you kind of take us through like a process of okay you get a random word like uh we had a word that was mary um like m-a-r-r-y and then we got to write a joke in 10 minutes like do you where how what's a good like checklist for us to go through to like create a joke off a word in 10 minutes
1: yeah, and I noticed on I think it was on one of your groups that somebody posted this checklist, and it was like a copy and paste from my book, but it looked like it came from some other website. And oh, no I'm citation sorry. Towards, <laughs> towards me, and I was like, I was gonna say, hey, bro, um, what, you know, you got it. If somebody stole your joke, you'd freak the fuck out. Oh, right? I'm so, sorry. Yeah, that no, was no, no, no. It, was, okay, like it yeah. was your group, so I just I didn't yeah. do anything, right? If it was. And it's there to help, but yeah. still, you got to cite the source. Wow. Okay. I didn't even And realize. I don't know if the person really knew the source. I think they got it off somebody else's. Like, yeah, I don't know. Who, who, who just basically copied and pasted <laughs> it. Hilarious. But um, I would go, yep, that's mine. That's right there. Because there were certain things in my, some of my descriptions that are nowhere else, like, the, like coincidental or uh-huh. configurational, or there's certain <laughs> things that people just don't talk about. And so I go, yeah, well, that's, yeah, all right.
0: Oh, I'm embarrassed. Um, I'm sorry, buddy.
1: So not, not, don't worry about it. It's not, okay. I'm not calling you out on that. I'm just saying okay. I saw that they said it as a checklist. So here's what I would do, because that's uh-huh. kind of, these are the structures, but it's, that's kind of the checklist. But if you're not familiar, if you haven't automatized, I think I just made that word up, automatized the structure, meaning like the way you drive, right? You, you don't have to think about how you use your muscles to get in the car and mm-hmm. start the car and put it in gear and drive. You just do it. Which is why we kind of lose, we kind of miss our off-ramp when we're on the phone talking to somebody and they're giving us dates and times and all of a sudden we go, shit, I just missed my What happened? How did I do that? Because your cognitive brain was involved in something else. You were actually driving with your unconscious mind. Mm. So um, when you automatize the, the, the concepts, right, which comes with just regular practice, you begin to sort of go through all the possibilities. So that one word, marry, right away I see a double entendre. Right, could be Mary. It Ma- could be Mary. It could be like uh, the, a woman named Mary. Um, it's like uh, you know, when I uh, my wife uh, is large-breasted. When I first uh, thought uh, saw her, she thought I was psychic because I guessed her cup size. Yeah, she walked in the room and I was like, "Geez," right? I was so taken <laughs> aback. I named right. them Mary, <laughs> me. So now Mary becomes the the name of a person. Uh-huh. Also, Mar- Mary, as in I name them, marry me, marry becomes the name, you know, could be marry like, and get married. So right away, I see that possibility, mm-hmm. you know? And um, uh, so I'll go through, where else can I fit Mary, you know, into that? I mean, right. You're talking about relationships. So you can go in, I might do an analogy. I might, you know, getting married is like, you know, something like that, or I might. Um, so I'll go through analogy, cliche reformation, double entendre, Incongruity, um, marry the name of somebody. Uh, so I'll go go through some basic forms and try to find as much as I could find on that. Then I'll take facts dealing with marriage. You know, you know, if you marry somebody, at fifty percent chance you're gonna, you know, fifty percent of all fifty ma- percent chance it's not gonna work. I mean, if you think about that, and then you say um, um, it's like. Fifty percent of all marriages end in divorce. The rest end in death. So, what's the choice, right? So now mm-hmm. you have you can still get married in the joke, right? So there's different ways. Like there was. Um, first of all, I love that right ten. I think it's amazing because oh, constriction you. enhances creativity. You know, if you think back, do you, I don't know if you you did this. We you know had haiku when we were in fifth and sixth grade. Right? I think it was haiku it was haiku is five seven five, and we're like, where's it seven five seven? I always forget. Yeah, Mm 575. And when we were kids, we were like, oh shit, I'll never be able to write anything on this. And we had to do it over the weekend. And then on Monday, kids came back and read these poems and you are like, holy shit, that's incredible. Where did that come from? So that constriction, right? A lot of times, most comics I find run into a problem when they just feel like they have to be funny. And it's just as big a morph as goo of vague. You know, be funny at what? I don't have something specific. But if you give them something specific, mm-hmm. now they have to tinker with just just that, and so it just enhances the creativity. You find you approach it from different angles, right? So what's missing in a joke is you start with one word, and then you go marry. Marry doesn't. How does that apply? Is that you know marry as in get married? Is it marry as in, you know, one of the techniques I use if it a descriptor like. I think i do we did this on the on the first podcast one of i had this thing called 50 facts right so i have people write 50 facts about them and then bring them into class and you take those class and you start building their act through those 50 facts uh so one of the guys wrote down on this 50 facts lazy just one word wasn't even a sentence right so it's like yeah i was like uh, yeah uh evidently because you just <laughs> wrote one fucking word but But, you know, after ribbing them a little bit, the job is how do we step this out, though? Lazy, lazy, you know, top 10 reasons, you know, you're lazy. So just that exercise, the top 10 list, we know is the most famous late night segment during David Letterman's tenure. But then you have before that, it was an exercise used in the Joey Bishop writer writer's rooms to write jokes, find Mm -hmm. punchlines. Top 10 list is a punchline generator. You can generate a bunch of punchlines. on a, a concept. And now you have tags and toppers to work with that. Right. So top 10 reasons, you know, you're lazy, lazy at what, who, what, where, why, when, and how, right. You know, so lazy at, what am I lazy at? Lazy at I'm a lazy. What would be really embarrassing since we know embarrassment is a major laughter trigger, right? Mm -hmm. People recognize that embarrassment. And also when you're embarrassed makes the audience feel superior, which is another laughter trigger. So it's like, um, um, if you get up there and say, I'm a, I'm a, I'm lazy. Sex? That would be really embarrassed to be, embarrassing to be lazy at. So lazy lover, and you could take it from there. I'm a lazy lover. Uh, so what are you know? What do you think of when, you, when you're lazy lover? If this is true, what else is true? What's my What's the you know? What would be your favorite sex position if you were a lazy lover? Spooning? How can we accelerate that with exaggeration? You know, uh, I'm a lazy lover. Some guys say you know they're really great lovers. I'm a lazy lover. You know, like my favorite position is a nap hmm. And now you have a crisp joke. So with like Mary, you go kind of go through those steps and you find, you know, where, where the associations are, you know, and I would just yeah. write sentences about, you know, being married or getting married. Would you marry me? You know, uh, what if I m- marry is a term we use a pejorative we use to put down somebody playing golf, you know, you know, it's like if you if you make a, a weak shot, they're going, come on, Mary. Mm. you know I don't know why that became that pejorative but um, what somebody I, calls you marry. it's it's not a good thing
0: what I find is when I when I'm able to create a joke in that constriction it's mm-hmm. it's when I when I ha, when I realize what the premise is I, I almost have to like remind myself of like what am I even trying to say here first off? And then how can I make it funny? Because a lot of times I'm brainstorming for eight minutes and then like I have like five ideas here and nothing like that's like honed in.
1: That's just the, the key, right? Mm-hmm. So one word is an idea. It's just a subject or marry is not even a subject. It's marry. Yeah. It's it's like it's such a vague uh, uh, application of the word. So it's like, will you marry me? Uh, do people get uh, how else do we use that in a sentence um Mm -hmm. um, marry me would you marry me uh he's going to marry her it's like uh maybe and then oh there's a possible premise like what would be the weird relationship you know this is uh in traditional relationships uh, men marry women in you know southern relationships men marry their sister you know, mm-hmm. that now you have a compare and contrast, but now you have a premise, somebody marrying somebody else, how you define that traditional marriage, you know, um, and in, and in, in, in 2020, um, uh, people marry anything. Right. So that's how we've evolved over the years. You know, who yeah. cares who you marry? Almost
0: like a timeline yeah. of like what marriage used to be and then what it is now as well. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's not even marriage. The word's marriage. Oh, Mary. So you have to kind of yeah. stay true to the syntax Exactly. Of the, the word. And that's the challenge, right? Yeah. Ma- and also, once you have a sentence, like sometimes you can take the word and go, what if I pronounced it in a different way? Marie, uh, Marie, 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 mm-hmm. Marie. Right. So maybe you, you can go French on it, you know? Um, yeah. It's- there was like, um, there was a word. I'll give you an example of like, how can we take this further? Like take the word intricate, Right. I was we were discussing the right 10 with uh on a, in a group. And I said, uh, it's a, a really cool thing because you have to you have a time frame. Right. You have 10 mm-hmm. minutes and you're given one word. And so the challenge is on. It really forces you to get creative now rather than getting lazy with it and letting it go. Right. And then, eh, OK, never mind. I wasn't able to do anything. But it's like 10 minutes and you sort of gamify it and people put their stuff up on you know, on Twitter.
0: Yeah. And we've and started doing cool. a, uh, it's funny. You said embarrassment as well. Cause we started doing a monthly joke writing contest where people get, uh, a random emotional theme and then they get seven days to create a new 92nd set. Based nice. on that emotional theme. So and then um there's three judges that will judge and then we have a finale that live streams into this group and all that. So that's, oh, that's like awesome. another constriction that's more like emotion mm-hmm. driven, which is where a lot of the best material comes from. Right. Awesome. Well that's um yeah, that that was very helpful for me. And also the checklist. <laughs> that's so funny. Because the, there is a tab in the Facebook group that says like um it's like writing resources and I think that checklist is number one. So we'll go and that's tag a, you in it. We'll go. That's,
1: that's very funny. So yeah, I mean, if you think about it, the and in a general joke, you know, one word's a little different than say a mm-hmm. sentence or a fact, right? Because a fact usually puts it into a premise.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: if I have a fact or you know a statement about me, I have five kids then I can go through that, my checklist, my first checklist would be, there's a uh, three questions I asked, the the line would be, is there an assumption, expectation or image that I can shatter? That'd be number one. Number two would be, are there two dissimilar ideas converging, right? So uh, I have five kids, Um, not really. So, but there is an assumption there, I have five kids. Uh, So you, there's the, and an expectation. So I have five kids, or you, and there is an inc- possible incongruity if I force it, if I add one later. Like I have five kids because I'm only half Mormon. Um, then, then, mm. then you have something like that, right? So then you can go on from there. I have five kids from three different moms, and they go, "Whoop!" There's the judgment right there. Like, mm. Did you hear that? Right? You could feel that, and then you comment on that, right? So you, but the, so the question number one is: uh, Is there an expectation, an image, or an assumption that I can shatter? Is there a double entendre play here meaning is there a second meaning of the word uh, or an alternate comedic meaning of the word that I can play with, or is there are there two dissimilar ideas converging. So once I go through those that say I wasn't able to come up with anything i'll say is there could I come up with a cliche related to the this this phrase this word um, that I can reform. You know, um, you know, so if I looked up, I can just quickly look up cliches. Now I have like three cliches and I can try to reform those cliches Uh, doing. So a cliche reformation is when you basically are stating a cliche and everybody knows the ending. And you change the ending Mm -hmm. because they're already thinking it's like it's almost like Dice Man with limericks. Right. Everybody knew the ending. they were already saying the ending. Right. So you create that expectation. The brain already creates that ending. You flip that ending. Whatever happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, whatever happens in Vegas. You know, so if you give it context, whatever happens in my sister just had a baby, because whatever happens in Vegas evidently comes out of your vagina. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was written by in a class by one of my students, uh, Pauline Yasuda. Uh, and that joke still gets big laughs, That's you know? great. So, laughs. But, you know, you these concepts you can apply, then you can do an ana- or an analogy you can drop in. Um, then you look for a paradox. Um, so these are things that people laugh at that don't have punchlines, paradoxical humor, because it causes the brain to do a little dance, you know?
0: <laughs> That's a funny way to say it. Brain, a little dance.
1: Well, you, you have to right. You, you when you do paradox, it causes you to, because a paradox is when you take a, something that sounds like it shouldn't be true, but you find out that it can be true or when you have two things that can be true but not true at the exact same time Mm -hmm. like the word prick right so prick and prick like george carlin's joke you realize on tv you can say you pricked your finger but you can't say your finger to prick so by definition prick and prick those are two things that can be true but not true at the exact same time and when you run them so close together it's pretty much the exact same moment you know, in the, in, the, in the scheme of things, when you're performing it, and people do that little dance. Oh, shit, you're right. I never thought about it that way. So that's the dance, right? Mm-hmm. They recognize it and go, how come I never, it's right there in front of my face? That kind of thing.
0: Awesome. So let's, uh, let's jump into these, uh, all these uh, hot brethren and sisterin in here. We got a lot of, we're at 70 now, by the way. So we are
1: weird it's oh, cool and, and the amazing thing it's before noon on the west coast so yeah. we get comedians to jump in before noon on anything normally oh. they don't check in for, for funny till about you know one
0: there's um in the right 10 club not to uh, people are like all right get to our questions but in the right 10 club there's comics <laughs> from uh like Australia that tune in at midnight um all the way to people in the UK of course there we have a lot of um right that's tenors awesome. in Canada so I mean Isn't like Isn't
1: that awesome it's, that it's, it's like global people It's are so fun. In.
0: It really yeah, it's comics cool. connecting around the world I mean it's a beautiful thing I love it. It really is. So, okay, we're getting to your questions now, kids. Um and we'll try to we'll try to just kind of run through them a little bit, you know. Um cuz I also want to bring on a special guest who is a big part of the reason we're here. Um, teaser. <laughs> teaser. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, this is the first one I'm seeing here from Lee Hudson, who is actually a, um, one of our comedians out in the UK. He said, how do
1: you know when a bit is done? Um, that's a good question because I've had bits I thought were done that evolved Later. You know, mm-hmm. Sometimes I'll do the, you know, when you do the bit, and sometimes an audience member will say something, and because they have a whole different, you know, ex- life experience and different point of view, they they might comment on it or tag it, and you're like, oh shit, I didn't, how come I didn't think of that, oh, fucker, right? And you and and you you know, I'll make a joke and say thanks for uh, thanks for that. You know, I'm gonna use that in my HBO special. you would be in your double wide going, hey, that's my joke, <laughs> um, which is weird because the guy's British. Um, <laughs> But um, the, so the joke, it usually a joke resolves, right? You can feel the resolution of a joke. It's almost like a major scale, like a song. It's like, do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do, right? So do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, good night, everyone. No, we need the do. The audience will sit there and go, Mm -hmm. do, right? So if somebody else sees something, another play that didn't get resolved in that, you know, another opportunity, wait, what about that? You didn't resolve that part of it. And they might say that out loud and you go, oh, thanks. never thought about that. So usually you can hear it resolve where you make your point because every joke should have your coming from somewhere. What are you trying to say with that joke? Once you say it, joke's done.
0: Boom. I love it. Nice, nice, tight way to um, say that. Uh, the second one, Bob Jorgensen. He says, ooh, this is a, this is a good one. Um, Lee's, yours was good as well. I'm just saying. Uh, Bob says, with all of your online content and classes, what is the number one rule that every young comic must know?
1: That it's an art. I think the number one rule is um, you got to remember it's supposed to be fun. It's comedy. So mm. if you start beating yourself over the head, step back from it and re, re, you know, refocus on that you're supposed to have fun with this. Take it seriously, but have fun with it. And I think, the, I, I think probably the number one rule to remember is Picasso's rule in art. It's like, um, you got to know the rules before you can break the rules. Because Boom. it's an art form. And you have to remember that the audience is always the final judge, ultimately. Uh, and they're going to tell you, because I might think, man, I got this joke. This is going to, wow, flatline. What the fuck? You know, happens rarely. But then I'll go back and analyze it. go, oh, no wonder I left out this word.
0: That's great. Know the rules before you break them. Uh, Michelle, Michelle Van Dusen. Is there an easy way to change a joke from making the audience think to making them laugh?
1: Every joke is unique, right? So it's hard to make a comment on that specifically without the specific joke. But yes, there's there are several different ways to take that joke in. And what I like to do is when people will hit me up on Twitter or something like that for joke for some joke help, and I'll take that joke and sometimes I'll write that joke, you know, five to 10 different ways and show here, if you wanna pop, try this. If you want this, try this. If you wanna really to ponder this, try this. And then after they think about it, you can pop it over here with a tag or a topper. Um, or sometimes you say the joke, you get them thinking, then you do an act out to sort of clarify what you wanted to say and that the act out now they can see it in a situation they're like oh mm-hmm. shit so when the waiter says this it's much funnier than if you just talk it in third person
0: beautiful uh this is a one from chris wright chris wright actually just won uh there was a this contest behind the bits contest and he actually just won that um sweet he, he asks, he, I think he was hitting you up on Twitter today as well, yeah, excited about this. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I love comedy. Oh, this community is so beautiful. So he's, he asks, um, do you have any advice on how to go from a one-liner comedian to longer form bits while still keeping the quick, hard punches?
1: Yeah, right. Great question. So one, you know, if you take a look at Brian Kiley, uh, Brian Kiley is uh, Conan O'Brien's head monologue writer. Huh he he is a, he is a mechanical, just like comedic mechanics, you know, down to the T, right? He has found a way to sort of make the, make the flow of the material sound like it's almost a complete story. So it rolls very nicely, even though they're individual jokes. Now, the key is, I think, you can take a story or concept. So I'll start like one and two liners uh, sometimes, and then it'll evolve into a story, a whole story about um, my relationships, my failed relationships. And then, but within the story, all of the lines, every sentence gives you an opportunity for a joke, right? Hmm. So um, like when I first do a joke about uh, meeting my wife for the first time, I do a quick joke about that. That could be done. But then, like, if I say um, my wife, uh, it was my wife's birthday the other day. And for her birthday, I got her a gift certificate for his and her massage. And she said, Jerry, this is a we gift, not a me gift. So I returned it and got her a gift certificate for dinner for one. And then, you know, then I can just talk more about my wife you know my wife my wife and i uh, we've been married about 15 years and all of this now this theme is running along and there could be individual jokes weaved together with tags toppers and act outs and that's what makes it feel like it's now a story or a bit you'll notice that most of the best comics you know even sometimes the one and two liners um they'll get up there and they'll do an act out and an act out just shows up as an organic piece of the joke so we don't think about it as an act out And they'll get into an act out. You watch them on a TV set, they'll get into that act out within the first 30 seconds. And that makes the audience feel like it's a whole story. So once they see that act out, once they imagine this in a scenario you just set up with the act out, you've got them compelled. They're seeing your sitcom that you're shooting and showing them right there in front of their face by acting it out because they have that suspension of disbelief, sort of like we have in theater. You know, we know the guy's not at a stream right now, but he's splashing his face with water that's not, not there. But mm-hmm. we buy it because it's a, it's a play and we suspend our disbelief. Same thing happens in stand-up. When you do an act-out, all of a sudden the audience is seeing the pictures that you're creating and they're in your story. So it could be one joke, but done with an act-out, it just really helps that joke evolve into a bit. Yes.
0: Yeah. And that, yeah, that's great, too, to, for people to understand. A lot of times these longer bits were actually smaller individual bits that evolved over time and Mm kind of you found themes to tie them. So they seem like it's one long story, but it was a bunch of individual jokes that just kind of organically formed into one story. Yeah, man,
1: and it's an an application of the structure, right? So if you say, okay, you say the joke and you go, okay, well, if this is true, what else is true? Mm Mm-hmm. And then you could tap, and so if this happened, what would that look like? There's the act down, right? Ooh, yeah. And so then you can say, um, you know, uh, what's my, what is, what are the, you know, who, what, where, why, when, and how, what's the contrasting perspective, what is that? Well, some people think this, I think this. And now you're evolving it even more. So you're just taking it and using your, your, your ideas and your techniques definitely the maximum of the five w's is one of your best assets Mm. who what where why when and how who who what who me who who else is involved who else would this impact you know uh who would hate this who would really like this you know who would think this was stupid you know that girl right there oh that's stupid you know she's you know this so then how would you respond if she insulted you or he insulted you you know now you have a benign retaliation possibility so that who, what, where, why went out and how can really take that story and evolve it.
0: Mm. All right. Curtis Walter, Walter Meyer. Great. Great, Curt. It's great to see all see a lot of uh, new faces in here. So welcome, everyone, to uh, the Hot Breathiverse. We're so happy to have you. Um, he says, uh, Jerry, would appreciate you taking a few moments to speak about tips you have for writing comedy for variety acts, like a magician, juggler, a ventriloquist, et cetera.
1: Well, those are, yeah, I've done lots of that, you know, and um, you same, same techniques are used, right? So I had a ventriloquist in one of my um, workshops and we were doing um, an incongruity exercise through, using analogy. Sex is a lot like going to the gym. Mm-hmm. And so he goes, well, how does that work for me? I'm a ventriloquist. My act is dialogue with my dummy. And I said, tell me something more about your dummy. He said, well, my dummy, uh, his name is, uh, uh, I think it was Monk and Danny. Danny was the dummy. Uh, Danny is an old fart who's, you know, blue, kind of dirty old man type of thing. So, and now now you have the angle, right? So if I write a bunch of jokes, that's a lot like going to the gym, then I can take those jokes and weave it into dialogue. You know, uh, hey, you know, it's like, uh, so you have the dummy and you're like, Hey, uh, good to see you. you know, well, uh, good to see you. You know, I've been working out lately, you know? Oh, you have, you know, it's like, yeah, look at this forearm. He goes, oh, wow, that's quite something. He goes, uh, how about the other forearm? Well, uh, haven't been working that one out. You know, it's like, cause sex is a lot like going to the gym. You know, it's, it's like, uh, it's usually just me, right? Mm-hmm. That kind of thing. And now you have the dialogue of the dummy oh. getting dirty. Oh. And now each one of those jokes, you start weaving it into the dialogue. You know, because when in sitcom, you'll often have the executive producer come in and say, "Hey, I need ten jokes on Balding," so we got because we have to punch up this dialogue right here in scene A. You know, uh, so and they just write a bunch of jokes and they find a way to weave them in to the conversation. So um, that's that's probably the best way to do. it. Magicians, the same thing. You have to have banter. I wrote uh, for a couple of magicians. Uh, one didn't understand comedy. And so I had to step back from uh, uh, that, that magician. Um, she actually said to me after she, she went up there and fucked up the jokes. And then after her show, I watched her show and she go, man, she mangled each and every one of those jokes because <laughs> she said it the way she wanted to say it. Uh-huh. There is a structure to those jokes and if you don't know what it is you lose the joke so after the show she comes up as people are filing out she goes those jokes weren't funny i said that's because you fucked them up and then she like what and it was like, it reminds me of this old vaudeville thing where this producer's doing the show, he's rehearsing it and his, his, his girlfriend goes, I wanna be in the show. And he goes, okay, honey, what do you wanna do? You see, he goes, I got something for you. I tell you what, what you do is I want you to sit at the wait backstage and then uh, when you get your cue, I want you to walk on with this bucket of red paint and you're gonna go up to the man in the hat and say, would you, would you like your palm red? And he says, why certainly. And then you paint his palm red. She goes, mm. oh, I could do that. He goes, great. So opening night comes in. She's waiting in the wings. She walks out right on cue, right up to the man in the, in the hat and says, would you like me to read your palm? <laughs> she doesn't understand what the joke is. So right. How is she going to execute it? So, I mean, that, um, that, that's you know, what happens sometimes when you work with people. They got to understand what's, what, what's, what mechanics are being used, what technique, what structure, what, what's the stimuli that's causing them to laugh if you can't identify it it's going to be hard to repeat that and do it at will. So in writing dialogue, the same things happen, but it gives you more opportunity for like with ventriloquism, more opportunity for benign retaliation. Somebody could say something stupid, you embarrass them, they make you look stupid, and you trade back and forth. It's almost like a conversation with you and your wife or you and your significant other where you each sort of put each other down, you know. And I have dialogue with my ex-wife I did a did a you know pot, I did a radio show at, on KLOS and um, I didn't know this but when I made a comment she was I said when I found out she was cheating on me with our accountant true story um, wow. she uh, I I said uh, I said I called and she never answered the phone so finally got her on the phone the next day and she's like uh, I said what is everything okay she goes you didn't I go you didn't answer the phone last mm-hmm. night she goes well Bob was over and we were crunching numbers. That was her line. I'm not making that one up. That was hers. Right. And so I, so I said, crunching. Yeah, you're doing a little division. How many times is Bob going to you? Mm. And I didn't know this, but the radio guys had her patched in. All of a sudden I hear this voice. Well, at least he does long division. You just did fractions. And I was like, Oh, what a great joke!" You know, Whoa. so now we have banter back and forth. Right between she and I, and then I get her back, and then she gets me back, and the audience will pivot back and forth and love to watch that event. So you could do that with mm-hmm. ventriloquism, right? You can do that with. I wrote for a mentalist who had to basically he has his line, he's setting up the, you know, he's setting up the next, you know, uh, gag, and then in his setup, you have those are sentences that can create double entendre opportunities, reverses, uh, three way buildups all kinds of techniques that are still available in, in, in those situations.
0: This one's actually, this next one's actually, uh, a few people are saying, yeah, uh, two people are kind of asking the same thing. And then a lot of people are like, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm curious about this as well. Um, so this is kind of like Mitch Navarro and Trent Babb kind of asking the same thing about how to sound more conversational in delivering material.
1: That's a great, that's a great question because, and one thing I emphasize with people in my workshops is like comedy is a conversation, mm-hmm. right? And so we, we forget that comedy is a conversation. It's mostly one-sided, but when you're talking, you see your audience doing a lot of this, they acknowledge they heard or processed the the setup. And that's where your timing comes from is listening to them, making sure they're listening to you. They heard what you had to say. They kind of responded with a little, Oh yeah. Okay. I, yeah, I, yeah, I saw that. And then you, punch the punchline with it or whatever but that is a conversation one way to do it is to trick yourself like um johnny carson used to do this um oh did, did you guys see this um i read this in the paper in minnesota it's a conversation now ask questions you guys you guys see this um jay leno hey um maybe uh did, did you notice this in the news today that sort of thing right and so Jimmy Fallon does the same thing so you're actually forcing yourself oh shit before I forget I gotta tell you guys these these are little kind of things to make sure you kind of trick your brain Mm -hmm. and because we've got this image ever since we were little of what a performance is and so when we take that stage that's still with us rather than getting up there and going you know holy shit I haven't seen you guys in a while you never met them in your life, you know, they're going to laugh at that idea. And, uh, you know, uh, but that's why at corporates I'll always go sit down at the first table. That's, you know, downstage left and have, have uh, the dinner with them or whatever, and then ask them their names and play a little, little name game with them and talk to them about, you know, their time at the company. So that way, when I'm up on stage, I can always go to my friends mm-hmm. and call them by name. And the audience thinks, Oh, he knows these people. Oh, he's one of us. Right away. So they feel engaged with you. And that's a great question because we talk about this with how people love this community. Comedy clubs, that's why people come to the shows. They don't know it because they love that to feel that sense of community. The moment you bring them in and give them a purpose that's part of the show, magic. That could make the difference of the entire show. Uh, um, Taylor Tomlinson does this thing which I, I, I saw her on one of her, her last special, I think it was, and it was brilliant. She comes in, the audience is cheering in her intro, and she's touched by the level of enthusiasm from this audience. And she goes, and you could actually hear them, ah they pick it up. And she goes, boy, I can't wait till my ex sees this. That line right there said, you're on my side. We're going to prove it to that asshole. Mm. And they're like, yeah, we got you. We mm. got your back. Mm. We're going we're gonna to prove it to him, too. So you have now working their superior. They feel that superiority. We're going to get him. Yeah. You know, and they're right on board with you. And she just in that little line brought them right into this community. It is a conversation right now.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Like, so you may have a one liner. That's very rigid and structured, but it's like, have a little runway into that one liner to make it a little more conversational. So instead of like having a setup punch about your wife, it's just kind of like, so I've been married for three years and here's the setup punch about my wife. Like almost just a little runway up to the punchline can
1: make it more conversational. And this is a great time to use crowd work organically, right? Uh-huh. So if I said, yeah. you know, I've been married to my wife for about 15 years. How many people married? you married? you married? Yeah. What's your name? You know, Bill. Uh, okay, Bill, uh, how long you've been married? Uh, six years. Uh, one more and it's over, right? Uh, and then you have, now you're building in jokes to the conversation because mm-hmm. 7 year rich. And then you say, but every name you have and information you have from that person, how long you've been married? Oh, 15 years. Hey, you and I, were on the same page, right? Miserable. Uh, so uh, we say, and I'll get a female's perspective because it's always good to have the female perspective because I'm a man. I love, love to look at, you know, that's why I bought Cosmo. I subscribed to Cosmo when I was in high school because I wanted the other team's playbook.
0: Mm-hmm. I wanted to hear
1: other point that other point of view that I'm not privy to. So that opens. So it's like when in the, in the classroom or in a, on stage, when I, when I include a female, I hear her perspective and I'll ask them, you know, and now each one of those gives me a joke opportunity on top of that. Now I have fodder to call back to, right. Exactly. Okay, you have any kids? Yeah. Three kids. So I'll go through and somebody else has, you know, how many kids you got? Three, three. Oh, well, we should talk to Tim over here. He's got three kids. You guys should get together and fuck, you'll be the Brady Bunch. Right. And then next thing you know, we get you, everybody's laughing because you're making this shit up as you go and uh, being crass about it sometimes just for and frivolous. And now <laughs> you can go into your material, you know. So I've been married 15 years. Let me tell you now the one liner or one and two liner. Uh-huh. Right. And you build off of that. But now you have a conversation. Sometimes the crowd work can be so minimal. One of my students, she showed she did. a, She did a, uh, a set. Got a great response and she did the the set again another night and she goes, it didn't go as well. I did the exact same set. I said, I bet you you didn't do the exact same set. And she goes, I bet you I did. I said, okay, what's the bet? Coffee. Good. All right. So I said, bring in the videos. Do you have them? She goes, yeah, she brings them in. So the first, she did virtually the same set, the same material, but in that first set that got the big response, she goes, hi y'all. That's how she opens. And it's in LA. So people are a little, Oh, wait, y'all. Oh, that's quirky. Giggle, giggle. Right. (laughs) Just a little giggle. And this one guy kind of made a snort or something. And she goes, "Ah, I love the way you laugh with this big smile. And that made them laugh more community Mm. immediately community. Mm. Oh my God. I love the way you laugh. I'm taking you with me on the road. Community where you just brought them right in, man. And then, I said, that's what got them. You had a conversation. You were not in your head reciting material. It doesn't take a lot. It just takes a little bit of not afraid to look at, look at them in the eyes and engage with them. You know? I love
0: it. Um, here's one, the offstage side of comedy. This is from Greg Brown, who says, um, tips on growing and gaining and training the discipline to sit down and work on the
1: things I need to work on off stage. So, when you mean that's a little vague. Like, what mm-hmm. part of it? the 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 admin part, the business part, the promoting part, or the writing part?
0: Uh, yeah, he doesn't specify. I would. It sounds like it may be specific to writing, but maybe you could also parlay it into like the ad, like the the actual occupational side of comedy, which isn't just writing jokes it's booking shows it's working on your branding it's like all these different things like we romanticize you know um like sitting down and i'm gonna have a cup of coffee and write my next great bit but and then we but it's eight o'clock and we're like i'll do it tomorrow you know like Mm how do how do we get in that mindset of like i'm doing this or else type deal
1: well first of all we have to you have to start in like in micro gains and micro wins Mm. right and um, there's a, a book called Atomic Habits, and it's about making those little microbe gains. We all think, hey, I'm gonna write a 15 minutes in a day, and that's not necessarily realistic. I've written a whole new hour overnight a couple of different times and performed it the next night, still with my set list right there, um, because I'll tell you the story another time. I think I may have mentioned it to you, uh, doing a fundraiser for my kids uh, high school uh, club. And uh, they said, Dad, you're going to do new material tomorrow night, right? I go, what? You know, this is free, right? I'm not doing anything. They probably want, want new jokes. <sighs> and I said, I said, close my door. I'll write a new act. That was my challenge to myself. It was like, you know, Joel Byers saying, write 45. Right. You know? uh, so <laughs> so I, had to, I was up all night writing a whole hour. Now, I had notes and things that were scattered, and I just put this new material together. And knowing you know, the concepts and knowing how to like, you know, how to trigger a laugh, what structures need to be in there, it was easier, but it was a challenge to me. I didn't know if I could do it or not. And all of a sudden I had it, I go, holy shit. And then I performed it and I asked my son, I knew it went well based on the response, but I asked my son who is 17, he's not gonna lie to me. I said, what'd you think? He goes, best one yet. Hmm. And I go, oh, wow. He said, it was so fresh. And I go, that's a neat challenge. I'm gonna do the same thing next year. So I did the same thing the year that next year. But sitting down and writing, it starts with when I first started, man, one joke was a fucking challenge, man. Mm-hmm. What do I even start? So I would then take headlines and I'd use that process of, you know, asking the questions of each line. And then once I wrote that first joke, I was like, wow, now Robert Orban who was like one of the guys I was studying as a joke writer way back in the day. He said he wrote 25 jokes in the morning just to warm up. And I'm like, Oh shit, I can't even write three. I suck. Right. And then I just kept pushing. Now what helped for me was I hired coaches, right? I, mm-hmm. my dad said, you know, if you're going to write for late night TV, I said, that's really a, an interest of mine. He said, you got to get a coach. You got to get somebody who knows what they're doing. And I go, dad, there's no coaches in comedy. Come on. It doesn't work that way. And then uh, my mom gave me a Writer's Digest and the back was an advertisement and it was from Gene Parrott uh, and to join his correspondence course. And then I wrote him and he says, and I said, can I coach with you one-on-one? And he was like, where do you live? I said, Chatsworth. He goes, I live in Studio City, you're 20 minutes away. We can do this. And so we started meeting once a week. And then um, he had a a, a colleague of his that he, when he couldn't make it, he would, you know, this guy, Bob Mills would uh, talk to me. And they gave me tips, encouragement. So I tried jokes and they give me pointers. So it's practice is one thing. Practice with expert feedback is a totally different thing because of those guys and 18 months of coaching. That's what got me to the Tonight Show. So Mm -hmm. was that coaching that little, hey, you know, it's like uh, make this adjustment right here. You know, you can try this. And then I evolved from that being on stage, because none of those guys were performing on stage. I was taking some of the the hypotheses that they were coming up with, trying them on stage and tweaking those based on live live performance. So so what I would do is I would sit down and I would map out my day. And Mm. my day is very important. An agent of mine said, if you're not doing 10 phone calls for your business, for your career, you're not doing your job. And I said, oh, thanks for that. Uh, that gave me a goal, 10 calls, this would be 10 emails, or 10 reaching out, 10 connecting with somebody on LinkedIn or trying to do something. Can I get an appointment to go on and meet a new manager? Right. I might not be ready, but I show them my video and they'll give me the feedback and they'll say, we're looking, looking for this. And then you try to tweak it to that. And then you show them, they go, yeah. And you, they, you prove that you do the work, you know, they're going to take it. People are looking for good talent, right? They need to know that you're out there doing the work don't take no as a no so i'd map out my day Mm -hmm. at this between this hour and this hour i am doing um my avails i am sending out emails i'm making phone calls and i'm mailing packages i'm doing shit that no other comic's doing because what is every comic doing they're sending out a link or some are even worse hey uh google me or look me up on YouTube. You're gonna have a comic, or, or you're gonna have a booker uh, do the extra work to find your video. It should be right there. And then, um, so, I'll send them something. You know, I'll find a way to send them something, and I'll send them lunch. You know, send them lunch and a and a QR code. You know, while you're eating your lunch, uh, you know, take a use this QR code to look at my six minutes. Interesting. And a neat little card and I'll call the club, call the club, call the club and finally say, well, what is, what does Tommy like to eat for lunch? Well, he likes his Chinese place right down right next door. And it's like, uh, what's his favorite and gives me, and then I'll call that place and send them the card to send over with this, with the food, buy him lunch. And it's uh, from Jerry Corley here, use this to check out my video. And they're like, Oh shit, nobody does that. So that's, a certain portion of the day that's dedicated just to that. Then mm-hmm. the por- another portion of the day is dedicated to my, my joke writing. Uh, and then another part of the day is dedicated to my social media or whatever. With, and it's hard, man. It's hard to do all of that. Yeah. But if you think of yourself like an enterprise, all of those things are different departments in your enterprise. And your day job is your revenue part of your business. You know, that's bringing in the revenue to help you to put food on the table and survive and keep your business moving along as it starts as you're working that startup, you know, but if you don't divide that time and put it in your date book or put it on your on your phone as a time reserved for this as an appointment for yourself, then you're not going to get to it.
0: Yeah. And it, at the end of the day, and this may have been something Ted Alexandro said on here, but. It's Well, one thing he said was that you'll never regret working harder, which I enjoyed. But it is also like you're willing to structure your day around a boss you may not like. So why wouldn't you also show the same discipline to yourself and to your comedy career and structure your day around a career you actually want to pursue? So at the end of the day, a lot of people want the magic bullet, but it is like, hey, schedule it. And commit to it. And the more you do that, the easier that habit becomes and the more just reflexive it becomes. That's why uh, the Write 10 Club started in quarantine. We've been doing it over six months because I was like, oh man, I'm about to, we're, I don't know when live shows are coming back. I need motivation to write. I was like, well, let me just start writing online and see what happens. And now it's grown into this like international online writing community, but it all started with me. Like I need some sort of accountability. So every day at 10 Mm a.m. I'm just going to write. And now it's grown into this community, but it all does start, I think with scheduling it. And then like you said, having, uh, having coaches or um, that's kind of like a built-in accountability system. So it's not all on you. Hold yourself accountable to someone else. And uh, I like the micro gains as well of a lot of the times we try to write that next great hour in one sitting. But sometimes it's like, hey, I I wrote a setup punch. No, it's not funny. No, it really doesn't make sense. No, I'll never say it. But I sat down and I exercised the muscle of writing, and that's the victory today. Check it off. I scheduled it. I did it. And the more you do that, the easier it'll become.
1: Yep. Exactly. Yep. Jerry Seinfeld used to have a calendar and it had you know, he put a red X in every day that he wrote, and mm-hmm. the idea was don't break the chain, don't yep. break the chain, don't break the chain. So if you keep that habit up, it's so much easier to keep it.
0: Awesome. All right. So um there are I know a few people a few people have a few questions, but I do um I want to bring in our special guest because the reason we're here, what I've started doing here at uh the Hot Breathiverse, we call it, is if someone reaches out to a comic, if they book that comic, then I want to bring them on the show and actually connect with that comic directly. And we've done it a few times. And I'm so thrilled to um do it with really one of our Right 10 club OGs. He uh he's a teacher and he'll like sneak in the Right 10 club while at work. It's hilarious. But um That's let, great. let's uh let's welcome to the show the one and only Bo Johnson, everyone. Let's uh Let's show Dave Bo some Bo. love here, everyone. Let's give him some love. I'm going to do a clapping sound effect. There you go, Bo. Hey, Bo. How you doing, buddy?
2: Awesome. How are you? I'm doing
0: great, man. Uh, first off, thanks for connecting with Jerry, making this happen. Uh, the timing is perfect. So um, thanks for all you do here in the Hot Breathiverse. And did you, did you have any questions for Jerry, or do you just want to get a little FaceTime?
2: Well, definitely questions. Um, You know, I know we have several people in the hot breath that are interested in in getting into um, late night. And so I know that's been been one of the big questions we do see a lot is, how do I start that process of getting into late night writing?
1: Well, first of all, I think it's a, you know, it's a daily thing, right? You find, uh, you get on, you look at your news app or you get on, get online, find your regular place you go for that news source and um you start to look at the um, the headlines that kind of resonate with you that that trigger an emotion and eventually you'll be able to identify some that you know will tr- trigger an emotion with your audience like you know i mentioned like if there's anything about tom brady um people love him or hate him and there's gonna be you know if there's a story about tom brady people will pay attention and they'll now if you can then write a joke about it it's gonna it, they will be more involved than if it's just the general you know, idea. Now, it's one thing to just have relatability or recognizable, or it's something that's familiar. It's another thing that have people that are either that are fans because when they're fans, that's a big that's a big emotion, which is why Trump is so often used in late night. You know, we write what's in the news and Trump by design makes sure he's in the news every single day. So who do you think we're going to be writing about? So when people get upset about you're disrespecting the president, Really, dude, I was uh, I was on staff at uh, Leno when they were making fun of, uh, of Bill Clinton for like twelve years after Monica Lewinsky uh, happened, <laughs> and it was still going on. So, and I wrote some of those jokes. So get over it, uh-huh. you know. But I think the thing is, is like you got to start writing. The goal most hmm. of these writers write twenty-five to forty jokes a day, um, so that you know what your that threshold that's expected of you. Um, then once you're once you're good at it. There are ways to reach out that are kind of built around the system. Uh, One of the things I would suggest to people is um, do a YouTube, you know, build up Mm. your fans. My friend Charlie, my student, Charlie Behrens, he has the Manitowoc Minute. And it's a niche character. He's from this Wisconsinite that don't you know. And he's got the, he wears like a camo windbreaker and he's up in a hat and he just does, he does local and national news. But only for about a minute and 35 seconds. It's this little quick thing. He does some relatability to Wisconsin, some local stuff, some national stuff, quick jokes, nothing really too offensive. Just, you know, always keeping his eyebrows up and, you know, keeping it absurd as opposed to negative, instead of going like this and getting, you know, judging people's ideals. So he went from when I first found out he was doing this. A, it was last September, October, he had 77,000 subscribers at YouTube, and he was selling out rooms wow. of fans wow. doing one night. He sold out Flapper's main room four o'clock in the afternoon on a Saturday. <laughs> Who sells out a comedy club four o'clock in the afternoon on a Saturday? <laughs> wow. Right. I was blown away. I went to go see it and then talk to him afterwards. He goes, I'm just doing what you told me to do. You told you, When I asked in class, how do we break through this? I said, get a niche character you know, develop a social media appeal, keep it short and tight. And then people will start to identify with the character. And, so, but he even, man, he's got them reminiscing about where they used to live, all that stuff. They want to come back. Now he's at, I think, 150,000 subscribers That's great. on YouTube in less than a year. And um now he's, you know, he's doing some other things. He's selling product. He's selling merch. And people love this character and his jokes, aren't that great, but the character is great. And so we love the jokes through the character, the jokes mm-hmm. themselves, mechanically you go, eh, but the character sells the jokes. So that's like a sitcom in a way. I have a feeling this guy's going to have either a special or a sitcom in the next two years, you know, because that character is so like, likable. Um, But if you're doing something, you're putting out really quality material every chance you get two or three times a week, eventually somebody's going to take notice if your numbers start and you stay consistent, your numbers really start to go up there. And, you know, if he hits half a million, if he hits a million, um, he's going to get a deal, right? So that's one way that's outside the system. Mm -hmm. The other way is when you're getting good and you see you're writing 20 to 40 jokes consistently, usually 25 to 40. Um, and you're putting out good content, you're running by your friends, your friends are getting, hey man, that's some really good stuff. I would listen to you, but you got to make sure you're getting good advice. Um, then one of the things to do is to follow the credit crawl on what shows you're targeting. And maybe think about targeting two or three um, and follow the credit call. In the credit crawl, you're gonna see a title called supervising writer. and supervising writer is usually the head writer. Then you'll find it. you you can look at the bottom of the credit crawl and say, oh, it's filmed over at CBS Uh, or, you know, most of them are in New York. Call the production office of that show. And even if you just call the main lot and you say, "Um, I'm looking for uh, Conan, or I'm looking for Kimmel or I'm looking for both these are in L.A. Um, I'm looking for Stephen Colbert's show. Um, Then they say, we'll put you right through. All of a sudden you get this phone call production. Then you just say the name of the person who is William Dadfrey. Hey, Bill Dadfrey. Yes, speaking. Hi, Jerry Corley. You've never heard of me. But, you know, I'm uh, a writer. And when I, could you take a moment and share with me what specifically you look for in the submission package? And then they're like, if I'm a writer and somebody called me, I go, dude's doing what he's supposed to be doing. That's cool. Kudos to him. And I would take a moment, but if I was in a super hurry, I'd say, hey, can we do this another time? I'm slammed. I, and I'd call back 30 times till, till he picked up the phone again. You know. And, but is, it's polite persistence, polite persistence, polite persistence. Never take no as a no, never take a hang up as anything, but hey, we're busy. Um, if you stay persistent, you will get better and you'll break, break down that door. There were eight people that quit. There were eight jobs that can become available in late night TV just this during this last six months. Mm. That's a huge number. People deciding, you know what, they're, they're now good time to retire or retire early or move on or do whatever, whatever their motivation. Anytime something happens like that, that's opportunity, right? So if you stay persistent and you keep writing, you keep writing as if you have a job, your job is to get the job. Your job is to have us have material ready for the pitch that's not even happening right now, but it will, it'll be that opportunity where uh, somebody says, hey, send me a packet, or I would just send in packets randomly and find some creative way of doing it, you know? Um, so it takes note, this guy's, you know, like for example, if I was bugging the head writer and I already got a packet written, all I have to do now is tweak it to what spe- specifics they gave you, they gave me. And, and it's just a little tweak and they say, yeah, well, I look for this, 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 and this. And if it was in LA, I would t- get on my Word uh, and tweak it, then print it out, put it in an envelope, call a messenger, have the messenger deliver it right over to the production office. That day, like three hours later, he gets a packet from me. He'll go, holy shit, who is this dude? You know, that's impressive. So that's another way. Now, not everybody has that opportunity. You can overnight it or something. Do something different, mm. but you got to stay consistent. That's... um it's a challenging level to be, you're working with a lot of guys who are good at this or a lot of guys and gals who are good at this, but they're always looking for new talent. If I'm a head writer, my job is to make sure my host has the best material, make sure I've got the staff with the most creative writers uh, that come up with good content. If they're not producing, I give them a little kick in the butt If they don't work. If they are still not producing, like I need them to produce, then they're probably going to be let go. And then, so I'm always looking for somebody good. If you're consistently sending a material, this guy's got great shit. He writes so you yeah, know prolifically, uh, and uh, always got some stuff coming in. That opportunity may may uh, arise, and you also find different ways to get their attention. One of my students, she went goes to the seminars at the uh, television. Uh, um academy of arts and sciences they have these seminars and often have like conan will speak or uh, colbert will speak and she'll go to them and uh, she's in a wheelchair she just rolls right up there and says hi you know and introduces herself gets a picture with them tries to give them a tape and talks to them about how you get on the show as a comedian uh she's breaking the rules man and meeting people and handing them packets so it's just a matter of find out where they're making personal appearances. Mm-hmm. You know, I had uh, my, uh, my, my friend Lou Majelowitz uh, from Vegas, a comedian. He um, was in one of my workshops. He goes, how do I do that? I go, you got Leno shows shows right up here at the, at Caesars every Friday night. So why don't you go down there, have a packet ready with a bunch of monologue jokes and uh, go to the state, find out where the stage ma- stage door is, go to the stage manager and see if he can deliver it to Leno. And, um, Waiting out in front of the stage door was Bobby Slayton. He sees this packet, this comedian looking dude walking up with a packet. He goes, You got a packet of jokes for Jay, don't you? Mm-hmm. And he goes, Yeah, he goes, I'm on his plane with him. I'll, I'll, I'll hand them to him personally. And he did. And oh, two months later, Lou gets a call from Leno, you know, and then um, uh, he, he said, What do you want? Do you want to be a comic? Or do you want to be a writer? He goes, I want to be a comic. Well, I can't use you then. I said, Dude, what you, you want the job, right? You said, I want to be like you, Jay. I want to do both. Mm. You know, and then you say to them, I'm not getting off this. If you're on the phone with a decision maker, you say, you know, my job right now is not to get off this phone until I have a job writing for you. Right. You know, that's (laughs) that's the purpose right now. And so they'll laugh at that because nobody asks for the job. They expect somebody just hand it to them. Mm -hmm. Polite Um, persistence.
2: Yeah. So, when you're in this writing room with other late night writers, is there, are there certain news sources you go to to look for stories? Are they all on up for grabs? Um, what What is the process you would normally go through?
1: Well, I have uh, my typical process is to I used to go like Yahoo was the thing. It always had nicely written, Headlines, and now it's all changed because you'll see CNN and uh, every one of the major outlets, except for Reuters and AP, um, every one of those guys are writing clickbait headlines because they're trying to heighten your curiosity, get you to click the story. And so, when you get into that story, you've got to look at the first couple of paragraphs to find the actual headline, to find the joke, what the what the story is about. Mm -hmm. And so, that's where I think comedians make a big mistake they sort of just reprint the headline and that's not how somebody talks. A host would never say something like you say a headline like that. They, they basically, Hey, did you guys hear about this? Like it's a conversation and now you have the setup. So I would, my sources are mostly um, sometimes CNN, New York times Uh, I go to like uh, aggregate sources, uh, ref desk uh, dot com will often have so many different sources on there. Uh, news.google.com also has so many different sources. If I find a story I like, I can click, uh, you know, you know, uh, a deeper search or says review all it'll show all these news sources that are writing the same story. And some of them will actually write the headline that you need and you go, Oh, that's exactly what I'm looking for right there. It's already written um, because it's coming from a different source. Remember, most of these people are copywriters, so they're taking the main story, coming from AP Wire or Reuters, and they're rewriting it for their, you know, their rag, their, their online source. Uh, also, I would go to, like, local news channels. Like, you know, here we have KTLA Morning News or KTLA Channel 5 News. I'd click them, because now you're listening to people say it the way it's spoken hmm. rather than the way it's written. And a lot of times listening to CNN in the morning or something when I first started, I'd listen to somebody say the line. And sometimes the joke is right there. Like, uh, Oahu, Hawaii today lost power to the entire island. And already, that's already a setup, you know? Um, and it was like, and then what she did, she almost wrote the joke. She goes, traffic lights were out, court buildings were shut down, and about 100,000 kids stayed home from school today. Now, I know once she says, those two, three ideas. I can eliminate one and just do a three-way build-up. She already wrote the joke for me. You know, Oahu, Hawaii lost power to the entire island. Traffic lights were out. Court buildings were shut down. And a vacationing Don King was seen with flat hair. So, because there's no electricity, now you have a joke that's suitable for the Tonight Show. It's not great for stand-up. I wouldn't do it in stand-up club. I'd do it for the Tonight Show because that's a different little uh, late show. Audiences are a little different. You know. So that's kind of how I would do it. And I, you know, I have, a, I still have a process. I still sit down and write uh, jokes every day, you know, on, on current events.
2: Speaking of writing jokes every day, I know of, whoops, sorry. Um, a few of our newer comics who just got into this struggle with that idea of what do I write about? My life, mm. nothing about my life is funny, but so what do I write about? Mm. And earlier, earlier you referenced to um, one of your students, you gave him 50 questions not going through all 50 of them, but what are like, maybe like five ideas that they could, questions they could answer to themselves, ask themselves if that could get them started with writing.
1: Yeah, that's a great one. It's like, um, um, what, what is your relationship status? Cause it's primal, right? Those are the things that we deal with. We deal with things that are primal sex, procreation, survival, money, uh, struggle with money, shelter, food, um, I like to talk about things that that uh, actually prompt the brain to produce serotonin, like uh, the Food Network has figured it out, right? They just show you this food, and they're like, and plus they gamified it and added the competition with a countdown clock. What the what the fuck else can they do to create drama, right? And we're like, and we see the food and our mouth waters and our brains are releasing this serotonin. We're like, oh man, I gotta yeah, let's watch the Food Network again. You know, I eat, I cook so much more now since watching that those shows, but. What what you can do is like you, you know, that's another subject we can talk about. That's the Food Network. It's an experience I have and people can relate to that because it's, all of that's relatable. A lot of people go to porn because there's shock value there. I would, I would take what everybody else is doing and go the other direction. Mm. You know, it's okay to drop something in one time as a reference, you know. Uh, it's like, oh, somebody's been watching a lot of porn. If it's in the moment, uh, that's fine. But don't, I would go, you know, you see, you smoking weed, you know, you can just pretty much rattle off what everybody's talking about, go the other direction uh, and find the nuances in life and those little things. And it's like, when Joel uh, gives you that one word, maybe something you would have never written on before, but now you're forced to. So it's like, what are people talking about? Let me go to some of this minutia in life that is People see it, but they don't talk about it. Like you ever watch somebody wait for the bus and you sort of step out. Now, where's the incongruity? Where's the paradox? Where's the irony in that them waiting for the bus, they wait on the bus, they're on the curb. That's seven inches high. They look for a bus that's 16 feet tall. I know I've measured. Uh, And they're waiting for the bus. They don't see the bus. So they step down off the curb into the street, losing seven inches. Then they raise up a couple of inches lost a total of five inches of perspective. If you can't see the bus from up there, you're not going to be able to see it from down there. (laughs) So now you have the irony of stepping off the curb to look for the bus built into that story. And, you know, people laugh at the irony. Also, that's silly. Why would he do that superiority? We feel superior to that person. And so that'll get the audience and, uh, uh, you know, recognition, observation and coincidence. Oh my God, I see that all the time. How come I never thought about it that way? So those little nuances sometimes produce material but then you say how can i put it what well, so what will make it funny irony will make it funny hypocrisy will make it funny because usually irony is uh, usually hypocrisy contains some level of irony paradox will make it funny um incongruity you know will make it funny uh if you have a reverse shadow and assumption that would make it funny um you know it's like you know you're talking about the person waiting for the bus it's like you know then they go out in the street they raise up on their toes which is weird because they're, they're in a wheelchair um, that could make it funny. Um, and then you could, so you see what I'm saying? There's like, if you know these, if you know the techniques, which come from practicing those one and two liners, even if that's not your thing, man, my thing, when I'm up on stage, is not one and two liners. I'm doing stories. I'm doing experiences. I'm talking about, you know, things that happened to me and how I encountered an obstacle on my way to a goal. I'm not like, uh, you know, two guys walk into a bar. But it's writing those one and two liners that get me that proficiency to be able to take just write a story, then come back through and go joke here, joke there, joke there, joke there. Okay, riff off on that, go off in this direction, come back to the story. You know, all of that now is possible because I can see that in the material because of, you know, there's 13 comedy structures to work from, plus other, you know, cliche reformations and analogies and that are instant, you know, Built in tools to punch up a, a script, you know, to punch up a story. You know, you need a uh, look at Bill Burr. His whole act is driven through is likes, is like, is like, is like, is like, is like. And all he's doing is putting these two similar ideas together, boom, punching it up, hitting some imagery, moving on with his story with a very strong emotional commitment to his point of view, which is, you know, it made him, uh, you know, the famous Bill Burr is today. But he uses a lot of is like to get there. But you got to keep in mind, Bill Burr, the first five to seven years of his career, he was doing one and two liners because he had to know how to write a joke. And now when his stories, it's easier to get to that joke because of that experience of writing jokes. Even, you know, it's like your scales. If you're playing guitar, playing piano, you don't know your scales. It's going to be really hard for you to do studio work, you know, so. It's learning the fundamentals. You know, as comics, we want to get there so quickly. We want to get to the show and we want to get to the, you know, people get up there, but you get a comic up there. And the moment they say, what else? I tune out. What else? What else? What else? What else? You didn't do your homework, bro. You know, that's what else. <laughs> you know, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta do your homework. I'm old school that way. It's like, if these guys are paying for these seats, I'd better be prepared to bring them a show. Otherwise I'm disrespecting them. You know, and you're there to give them a gift without them or nothing. Well, oh, fuck them now. We got Zoom. <laughs> you need to see how unfulfilling that is for some people, right? It's like, there's nobody watching. What do I do? I need that accolade. Do you think those are still worth it, the Zoom shows? Absolutely. Yeah. Because they teach you another level. They teach you to relate to this thing right there, right? Mm. And it's like, you, this is that's unusual. But how does that impact you now if you get an agent, you start doing commercials? And now you have no problem talking to the camera like I'm talking to you guys. right. I'm looking in your eyes, right? But it's so weird because in comedy, we don't look in everybody's eyes at the exact same time. So it's a little different, but you can you can actually use it and ponder and do that sort of thing. You can use your your framing to go. You know, it's like uh, you know, it's like, and I can't do this, and you know, it's like I can't do anything because I'm Jewish. I can't, you know, I can't uh, I can't watch Stranger Things on the Sabbath. I can't do this, and it's like I uh, I can't covet my neighbor's wife, and she's hot, you know, always coming over. What another cup of sugar? So, you can do that and use the frame. To create the joke. Mm-hmm. So if you're imagining what's what's what they're seeing in the frame, you could utilize that to your advantage. And they force you to be more creative now. So but you see how that you're seeing it in a different perspective too. Now they could see your eyes. Now you can do facials. Now you can do things with your eyebrows that maybe you didn't do before, right? You know, you used to do a true and false quiz in class. You know, my friend and I would send signals. He'd, he'd study one night. I'd study the next night. We'd split the work f- in, in half. Next day, he'd be looking at the, at the question. He'd go, all right, that one's true. He'd send the signals. That one's false. He has no idea. You know, so now you have, now you could do that where they wouldn't be able to see you up on a stage in the back from the back of the room. So there's those advantages. Also watch John, John, uh, John Oliver Watch how he, when he first started after the pandemic, doing the shows sort of remotely and how it evolved. And he's just like, wow, he doesn't even stop for the laugh. It's just, it happens by accident. And it's so riveting. That's why he won another Emmy, you know, because that's something to to take from. If you see, if you join these Zoom shows, see what other people are doing, Steal the moves that are working. If the oh, that guy gave a look like that, that seemed to really get a laugh. Oh, I can use facial expressions. Mm. I can do a deadpan. I go, you know, and she wants me to come over. Get into use that camera to your uh, uh, to your effect to shift a dynamic level in your act. You know, and it's like you know, and this, this is all going on, of course, during the pandemic. You know, or during the apocalypse. You know, and that gives it a conspiratorial type of thing. You know, use that camera as you're leaning in and trying to whisper to them. So that's a that this this Zoom thing provides other creative opportunities. You know, all crisis leads to some sort of opportunity. I love that. Did and, that uh, answer your question, man? Mm-hmm. It both, Are you in class right now? or you about to ask. Break from class to be here?
2: Um, yeah, actually, I'm in my um, storage Broom for the school I'm in, <laughs> hiding from my uh principal. Yeah. How long
0: have you been doing comedy, Bo?
2: Two years. Two years,
0: awesome. That's... And what made you want to get uh Jerry back on?
2: Um, actually, I took um, I think it was plat- late last year, I took Jerry's um, he had a one day class session on a Saturday, and so I took that and then I watched the um, the master class that you did with him, and I remember him saying that um. Even if you took, like, Steve Martin's masterclass, he's referencing Jerry. Mm. Um, yes, yeah, so so a, a so bunch many... of my
1: kids said that. They said, hey, uh, dude, mm-hmm. what do you think of the Steve Martin masterclass? I go, he's a living legend. Take it. And it's 99 bucks, man, to hear from a living legend. You've got to get something, some value out of that. And then a bunch of them started calling me saying, he's, he's, he's sending us to, when it comes to writing, he's sending us to your website for your 13 comedy structures. What the fuck? Wow.
2: Well, see, I go, and I Steve remember Martin's like, referencing me how cool is that So cool. right, and we have so many students in Joel's classes and um, during the Q&A sessions asking the big questions of like late night comedy and where do I get started how do I get started and I always go back to having read Jerry's book also Jerry's got the answers for a lot of this stuff so let's try to get him back on this show that way those Q&A's and actually all the questions I've asked are actually questions that other people have asked um Mm -hmm. i know i've asked joel in the q and a's and so i'm just asking their questions
1: yeah man this uh, that's what i i never thought i would write for late night tv i wanted to just be a stand-up you know Mm -hmm. i wanted to find a way to work when i wasn't working as an actor and that was a performance thing and i found this little ad that said take a stand-up class i took the stand-up class and i found out there were tools so my thing as a kid i always took apart my toys to see how they worked and so You know, when the teacher was like, sometimes you just got to be funny. And one teacher I studied with, uh, I won't mention the name uh, because it would be indiscreet, Judy Carter. But she uh, and I'm kidding. I have all respect for all teachers that are out there. And I do that in fun and in games. So if they take offense to that, they shouldn't be in comedy. Um, But she said, well, sometimes you have to coax your audience. And sometimes like when I do a joke, I'll do this. And I was like, wow, uh, hello. If you do that, you've got to reevaluate your punchline. Right, so (laughs) because you shouldn't have to go ta da, you know that's not comedy, that's magic, right? So, um, but what I saw, and so I got some value out of that. Every class gave me a little bit of different value, right? So I, I, uh, my first teacher was Greg Dean. I got some value out of that, but I said, hmm, there are some mechanics here, but what really, what makes that brain trigger the laugh? what mm-hmm. what stimuli is there there are guys that get up there and just you know talk forever and nothing happens why what was there and then i then i collected like every video i could record and i'd go through each one and say why did they laugh why did they laugh why did they laugh then i found melvin hellitzer's book comedy writing secrets and he sort of started to label some of the stuff and i go aha that's what i'm looking for and i built off of his labeling and then i was taking it on the road then i met gene parrot And then uh, um, uh, Bob Mills, and they helped tweak some more of what I was doing. And then I experimented more on the road. I was on the road 43 weeks out of the year for like 25 years, you know, so I was able to get up every night and try shit and test that shit in a theory and have notebooks filled with just like, you know, constant like what if i did this what if now what are they laughing at so then i said what i what would i call that well so-and-so calls it this so i'm going to try to try to keep this a more of a unified sort of language so that this terminology can be reused and people like call back i love that the people are now they know what a callback is and it's like act out we know what that is uh so three-way build up or triple we know what that is and so Now, you know, people start to learn incongruity, compare and contrast and and benign retaliation and all this stuff. They can now sort of create sort of a a theory that's similar to music theory. And just like in music theory, you got to know the rules before you can break those rules. Mm -hmm. So... But if people sit there and they sit down and write every day for late night, it's a different format. It's a little more fickle. You're writing for somebody else. It's a host. Some hosts will say some jokes. Other hosts won't say other jokes. Like if I smi- submitted a joke to Dave Letterman that talked about butt fucking, I wouldn't get the job, you know? Um, but Leno might do it because it's naughty, you know, and it doesn't say butt fucking, but he, he would say something that related to that, but it's still that joke and, letterman was just like so against that um he wouldn't do some of the jokes that uh leno did about uh monica lewinsky and the you know the stain on the blue dress that wasn't uh letterman's thing so you got to know your show too that's why when i do the late night class the whole the late night class that i teach live um by the way it's coming up i think october 1st that is we do it every week you have assignments we have goals we review the jokes and you get more tidbits. That's why people have like repeated the class because they get better and better. Some of these cats, man, they came in and they were mediocre. Eh. Stellar jokes, stellar jokes, stellar joke. One, yeah, you know, doesn't work. But then they fix it. And now they're getting so good at that. So you can actually see their improvement as they progress through this. And some of these guys say, I keep submitting. I got a couple of calls, but never, I didn't get the job yet, but that's why I'm going really to keep taking the class because it keeps me accountable. Yep. And it's, and it's worth the investment, if you will, for your career, because it is going to get you to the job. I mean, remember I was coaching with these guys once a week for 18 months back in eighty eighty eight, paying them $125 a, a, a class. I charge that for one-on-ones <laughs> now. And, um, I got a second job to fund that, but after that investment of what twelve thousand dollars, or whatever it was, I made that easily back in the first you know few months on my with my job. And now that job also gave me a credential and a a, a a status. Now I could walk into the improv or the comedy store. Oh, he writes for the Tonight Show. Hey, you want a spot? No waiting in line anymore. So it's just that it's how the business works. You're that little extra piece of legitimacy, maybe, you know, that says, Hey, this guy, he's it also the, Hey, we got a writer from the tonight show here tonight that gives their club more legitimacy. So that's why that was so valuable for me. And now, and to get, when I started writing screenplays, Oh, you wrote for the tonight show for eight years. Yeah. Come on. Why don't we, why not we have a meeting when before knocking on that door, would that getting that meeting would have been tougher, but now I get the meeting because now that we wrote the film, the film got made. Now I'm getting meetings all the time and selling scripts. Some of them, none of them have been made yet, but I'm getting there. One of my students just got a film made that Kelsey is in and John Cleese. They're shooting in, uh, in the UK starting this week. So that's so wow. exciting. He was like one of my students and now he's got a film. You know, that's amazing. That's it's so exciting to see that man. And then they send you a card with a bottle maker's mark or something. They say, thanks for my career. That's so cool. It's just like, there's no money that can replace that, you know?
0: Well, Bo, Bo, do you have any, um, I I went over time with Jerry again. I know our last one turned into a two hour thing. Um, Bo, do you have any closing questions before we, uh, let Jerry get back to the golf course? (laughs)
2: <laughs> no i'm I'm
1: good yeah i gotta go back to the doctor she gave me this this medicine that's turning me like red have, have oh, you noticed weird. that how red i got yeah i oh. just looked at myself i go what is that's got to be that photo maybe that's photosensitive the the medicine that i got oh weird look how huh. red i got that's like i got a i got a sunburn from the screen of the computer it's you look great buddy you're you're beautiful jerry <laughs> <laughs>
0: and this was super helpful um the, yeah, a lot of people are making comments about how helpful this was and thanks for doing it and all that jazz. And uh bo, you know, I mean, thanks for putting us together, man. You know, yeah, you man, reached out to Jerry, you you totally. scheduled the day and the time mm-hmm. cuz Jerry and I tried to do this several months ago. And it's I mean, scheduling and coordinate like it's hosting a podcast and interviewing people, there's so many layers to it. So I'm glad that it happened now where it's a member of the community taking action and making things happen. So Bo, thank you. I know Chris Grulon has thank done you. this as thank well. You, Jerry. So, um, yeah, yeah. Thank you, Jerry as well for doing this.
1: No, my pleasure, man. When we did this the first time, I thought it was like, I go, when I saw your uh, seminar on the podcast thing, I go, this guy really cares. He gives a shit. Yeah. He really likes this. He likes to help. I you No, know, that's me too. And it's like, I loved it. People say, don't just tell me you're doing this because you love to help. I go, that's how it started. I really wasn't making any money. I was just helping people. You know, I'd be on the road and bookers would put people on the road that were new and needed, uh, that had promise and needed sort of some guidance. And I would take them out there and and show them and help them tweak jokes and, you know, give them some suggestions to get better. Always with positivity, always Mm -hmm. with positivity. You know, you hit them with positivity and and then show where the weakness is. And so, because getting up there by yourself with no fourth wall, not hiding in a character, just you. It's super vulnerable. So if you take them down first, you're now working in a deficit rather than saying, you know what? You're spontaneous. Jokes aren't there, but they're spontaneous. Now let's work on, let's figure out how to get there. And like this joke, you can do this. And this joke, you could do this. Now it's a matter of keeping it spontaneous because that's your craft. Your craft is taking the words that are on the page and making it sound like they're just off the top of your head. That's craft, right? So that's what comedians don't understand. It's like if if you write it, it's not funny anymore. You're not using the part of your brain we use to talk. Writing and talking are two totally different things. So once you write it, now you have a record of it. You You know you can refer to it again, and then you can also tweak it. Soon you'll start thinking and writing the way you speak And to make that easier, but now taking it up there and getting up there and making it sound like it's right off the top of your head, that's your craft and that takes practice. Mm -hmm. So uh, that, you know, and these Zoom things help because this is a different format. How do we still stay conversational in this talking to a camera sort of thing?
0: Yeah, you know, (laughs) it's true. And yeah, people are turning in uh, from India. They said this was worth staying up late for all the way from India. That's awesome. Um, Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, and uh, yeah, that's one of the core values of Hot Breath is uh, it's positivity, community, and productivity. So it's like we're willing to work hard and also support each other in that, all with a positive attitude. So I, and synergy, man. Yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, right. Bo, could you? Do you have anything you'd like to promote before we uh, let Jerry land this plane?
2: No, nothing at the moment. So.
0: Twitter, do you have so you want people to follow
2: you or anything? Oh yeah, I mean I have, I do, um, I am on Twitter. Sorry, no, you're great, buddy. I, had, I like, I just got a message too at the same time when you asked that. Um, I'm on Twitter, um, Instagram, and Facebook at B Johnson Comedy.
0: Beautiful. Nice. And Jerry, yeah, please let people know because I've I use you as like a like a resource. Like if someone asks me a question, I'm like I can tell you my experience. This guy not only has more experience, he has several different resources, free and paid, that you can use. Yeah. So I yeah. constantly refer people to you. So please let them know where um, these a la carte things you're doing are great. So, I know yeah, a lot so of hot breathers have done it. Uh, hit
1: me up on, uh, on uh, Twitter at, at Joke Doctor, right? Mm-hmm. So that's, and if you're not on Twitter, uh, you can go to uh, visit me on Facebook. Uh, and it's also uh, at joke or at, you know, it's facebook.com forward slash stand up comedy clinic. Uh, hence the joke doctor thing. And that was a name that was given to me by, you know, veterans at the Friars Club when I would we would have these little writer sessions and I would tweak their jokes or fix their jokes. And they're like, You're like you fix jokes, you make them well. You're like the joke doctor. And that wow. stuck. You know, and I was like, Oh, that's such a neat little thing, because I'm the new guy and these guys been around for a long time, but they didn't they just sort of, you know, they wrote with hope all their lives. And then if a joke was funny, they kept it. If it wasn't, they dropped it but there were jokes that they didn't think they were going to drop. But I go, you're just missing a connector. And then we'd put it in the joke worked. And they're like, how did you do that? You know, it's just a lot of practice. I think is how that comes about and mm-hmm. really studying, really getting there, studying the mechanics rather than just believing you either got it or you don't, you know? Yeah. I think
0: that's the big overall takeaway today is we'll learn the rules before you break them. But like, yeah, learn the mechanics, work hard at those mechanics to learn them and make them a reflex. And then like, make them your own but it all comes down to work being willing mm-hmm. to put in the work period so thank you you've helped so many different what they're saying from Germany here all across the world um, thank you so much Jerry uh, Hop breath of verse all of the links that he said uh, that Jerry said and that Bo said will be in the show notes if you want to get involved in future Q&A's like this you've got to be involved in our Facebook group you're watching on YouTube you're listening to the podcast join the Facebook group get involved in the Right 10 Club and um, we'll be back with another Q and A soon. Thank you so much, Jerry and uh, Bo. Thanks for putting this together, buddy. Thank
1: yeah, you. Bo, Thank thanks you, for putting that together. And um, um, uh, your principal just called me. So "Do you know where Bo is?" <laughs> actually,
2: she just actually she just called me. So, <laughs> all right. Well, <laughs> and I declined her. <laughs> we'll,
0: we'll. Oh well, yeah. You go answer that. That's your job for now, buddy. Until we make comedy your job. And um, that's right. Have a good day, guys.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Hot Breath. This episode of Hot Breath is sponsored by our Patreon. If any of our content has helped your comedy career, join our Patreon linked in the show notes and get positive comedy karma for life. Probably.